Continuous cool. Oh yeah, continuous cool. Oh yeah, sometimes cool. Continuous cool. Oh yeah. Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer. This is our gratitude special. This is coming on the heels of Thanksgiving in the U.S. It's been a time to pause and reflect towards the end of the year to kick off the end of year holiday season. Santa came in at the tail end of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. We are blessed to have a four-year-old. He's a kindergartner. You heard from him earlier singing his classic go-to-school tune from when he was around two. He's now almost five and just started kindergarten, putting the year in perspective. This is probably the biggest educational milestone for the Palmer household in this past year. Here's a little more from Matthew as I'm thinking about gratitude and education. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning. How are you? Good. What are you doing today? The first day of school. Nice. And I'm really early. You're doing good. You got up early, you ate your breakfast, you got your beach ball, your socks. Match my shirt. Match your shirt. What does your shirt say? Kindergarten rules. Kindergarten rules. You going to have a good day? Yes, yes, yes. Time goes by fast. That was back in September. It's now almost December, and we're coming off gratitude season. A few years back, we started in 2019 our Don't Be a Turkey, Learn to Be Grateful tradition, where we talk about gratitude around Thanksgiving. I was pretty preoccupied with my family and other commitments, so I really haven't had a chance to dig back in until just now. And while I'm in the midst of a gratitude episode, I am also trying to control my emotions about how unreliable my internet provider is. Shout out to you, Spectrum, for making this harder. So this is tethered in a non-normal recording setup, thanks to things we take for granted, things like internet and soon to be things like artificial intelligence, which are going to become more and more our baselines. It is interesting to think about gratitude from that perspective, where in some ways gratitude is a important check on our tendency to take things for granted and just normalize our baselines and not really think about the benefits of things like a safe place, a warm home in the winter, a place where you have some food security and you have access to education, access to the internet. Digital inclusion is something we've been talking about really since 2020 and even before then, where in order to have a seat at the table, you need some basics. And one of those basics is really access to the internet, whether we like it or not. It is interesting that when push comes to shove, we tether through our phones. Increasingly, that is more true of the global reality where Folks are increasingly online across the globe, and frequently that will not be through a desktop setting. That might be through their mobile phone or other mobile devices that give them access. But it is uh, time to reflect a little bit 
And we've certainly been reflecting about how thankful we are to have a son and how much having Matthew in my life has changed my perspective as someone who thinks about the future of education, thinks about emerging trends, certainly have become more interested in early childhood education and parenting. And then another thing I'm certainly thankful for is the opportunity to get my wife, Robin, on the show from time to time. Here's a few clips of Robin over the course of 2023. I think the challenge right now is that for teachers or instructors, because this technology is so brand new and it's moving faster, it's academia, things move a lot slower normally. Yeah. And this is moving faster than lightning for this area. So we're all trying to figure out how do we really use it and how do we identify it and how do we make it so that students don't feel way about it that is not useful. Mm -hmm. So it's just trying to think about what does that mean for writing? And I think we're still trying to figure those pieces out hmm. and figure to what extent is it okay for someone to use this tool in their writing project and to what extent is it not okay? Right. And for the tool of itself, some things work and some things are clearly easy for the tool to do and some things are not. And context is one of those things. The tool hmm. does not understand context. So if you don't bring the human understanding of context to your writing, then it's still kind of disjointed and separate. I'm fortunate not only to have Robin as a life partner and the mother to our son, but also as a great collaborator on all of my work. And it's fun when we can actually get her on air, but she's very much supporting me and everything you hear from Palmer Media behind the scenes. We were able to make it out to South by Southwest EDU this year with Robin, her mom, and our son. It was amazing. Robin was even on the panel with me when we announced our 2023 March Madness learning trends. Robin had probably my favorite learning trend and something that she's talked about a couple times on the show and a bunch with me off the air. And that's about what's referred to as a container problem, also known as container collapse. Let's listen into a little more Robin talking about that. This is from our appearance at South by Southwest EDU. So my fourth trend is container collapse. And how many people have heard of container collapse? Only because you talked about it at dinner last <laughs> Okay. So this idea is that I know Talanda mentioned content agnostic, and this is ideas about format agnostic. Students and people are very much format agnostic. That means because you can get a little Twitter quote, you can get a blog post, you can get a nice quotation from somewhere. So you don't necessarily know the format of the piece that you're reading because you read in excerpts a lot. And as a result, so when I think container, and this will be an example, you've gotten an excerpt from this page. It tells you about this book and what it's about. But what you don't know is the origin of that piece of information. You don't know that it's held in a book like this, which has its own affordances and its own way of doing things. Another example of this is that, you know, if you ask students to go online and search for a journal, an e-journal or something like that, they don't really understand the concept of a journal because a journal is a container for multiple articles. So they will find an article and be like, oh, here's the journal. But they don't realize that that article is in a larger set that is held by this term we call journal because 
to find the information that they're looking for. They can easily find the specific thing they're looking for, but not necessarily where was that originated and where was that held. And so this idea of the container collapse, the containers are like books and journals and these larger holder of information that has been with us historically that is now slowly collapsing because the need for it is very different in a digital world where, you know, it doesn't matter the format. You get the piece of information that you need and you don't necessarily need that. There's a lot of that related to literacy. There's a whole books movement in literacy where rather than training people on synthetic articles, which increasingly are going to be written by generative AI, instead, you know, actually read The Catcher in the Rye or read... <laughs> A book, which is actually something we do have to advocate for, and mm. not to mention the books that we need to advocate for. Also, a lot of mental models. If you're interested mm. in mental models, my wife can talk your ear off on <laughs> mental models. Ah, yes. Talking to the wife about mental models. That's what we do. Lots to think about there. It is particularly interesting to think about mental models and how prevalent they are, frameworks, you know, ways of making sense of the world, and how a lot of those are being confronted by new external realities powered by artificial intelligence and increased polarization and other macro trends, environmental trends that are certainly top of mind and topics that we'll continue to cover on the show. So I'm very thankful for wife and son. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to go to conferences and to engage in conversations like the ones we have here on the regular on Trending in Ed. I'm also extremely interested in neuroscience and the neuroscience of gratitude. I did a little bit of research, and this is the first time we are citing Birdie, which is, I think it's women's lifestyle, but just to show we're omnivorous in our sources here. There's a really good article in here by Kayla Barnes on the neuroscience of gratitude, which is important, especially when times are hard. It's important to know that gratitude is good for your brain. And in some ways, gratitude is a mental model. It is a way of thinking. It is in some ways in line with the Algorithms We Live By, which is a book that I cite regularly on this show, really profound and helpful, I think, in terms of understanding your life as a series of heuristics and decision-making tools that help you navigate through the world. I'd say gratitude is certainly one of those things. And Kayla's article does a really nice job talking about it, talking about the neurotransmitters that are involved, dopamine and serotonin, which are two that you hear about a lot, dopamine more related to motivation and serotonin related more to happiness. Turns out that both of these neurotransmitters are associated with gratitude and that establishing some sort of consistent gratitude practice can help reduce your risk of depression and anxiety, help improve your mood, and much of this is tied to real research on the neurochemistry of gratitude. So it's not just a good thing to do. It's also good for you. This is the whole warming of the cockles of our hearts. I did do a little bit of research into that. Was able to uncover an article from the Sydney Morning Herald from back in 2005 on one of the meanings of cockle, which is in reference to the heart 
the cockles are your chambers, and the heart is associated with emotions, especially love. Your cockles are warmed, your atria and ventricles are feeling good. You're ready for the brisk holiday season here in the Northern Hemisphere, although it is approaching summer down in Sydney where this article was written. We'll include links to all of this in the show notes. We'll also refer back to the work of Rebecca Peterson and her One Good Thing blog, which we did talk about when we made it out to the Smithsonian's EDU conference back in July of the year where Rebecca Peterson was one of the keynotes. She was teacher of the year. She teaches in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she began a practice. Practice? Talk about practice? Yes, AI, we're talking about practice. Rebecca started a practice where every day, at the end of the day, she would think back and reflect on one good thing that happened that day. You know, training the gratitude muscle, training the thankfulness muscles in her mind to look for those things. And she talked about a progression where it was perhaps forced and reactive at first, but then over time, it became more proactive, more prospective, and it helped establish and reinforce a reflection practice that she's now been carrying on for many years. She's got a blog. We'll include a link to that as part of the show notes, but a shout out to the folks who put on the Smithsonian EDU conference in the summer. I was able to bring the wife and son down for that as well. It definitely is one of the highlights that I had on the year. I will say, if you get the chance to bring children to conferences, to bring older generations to conferences, particularly those that are looking for a broader set of perspectives, where I think those are the conferences that I wind up gravitating to, ones that are really seeking difference as opposed to seeking others of a niche, if it's that type of a conference, especially, I would say bring a kid. But honestly, I do think if you're talking about education and you can't engage with younger folks and then also older folks, you know, bring them along. I feel like too often we're making it as though the cutting edge of learning, the cutting edge of this stuff is a cloistered conversation. And it's very much about scarcity when I think Thanksgiving and gratitude is very much about reframing things into a context that focuses on abundance and focuses on what you would have trouble if you had to go without realizing that you have it. I think there's a lot to be learned in there. So hopefully we're helping to warm your cockles. We are providing tips and tricks about gratitude and, you know, coming full circle back to thinking about my son to think about how we have to teach gratitude and remind folks as they're starting that gratitude is a thing. You know, in some ways, this is what Pat Riley referred to as the disease of more, where we're always looking for the next thing and we get kind of restless and bored and it's tough to reframe the focus and get into that positive ritual, that positive practice of looking for what's good, looking for what we can appreciate and what we can reflect on. And I think that's going to become increasingly important as doom scrolling. And, you know, right now the AI conversation is being split between the accelerationists and the doomers. So there's a lot of people talking about doomsday scenarios, not to mention the, the crisis in Gaza, what's going on in the Ukraine, what's going on really geopolitically around the world with the rise of 
autocracy and all these other things that can stress us out. What will not stress us out is building in that focused mental energy that we apply on a daily basis through some kind of ritual where we are thinking about the things that we're grateful for and the things that we appreciate. It's something that will counteract affluenza and it's easy for all of us to fall prey to that where we may not think of ourselves as affluent. We may want to criticize the one percenters and billionaires and the elite. But normally, if you get to the point where you can reflect and establish some kind of gratitude practice, frequently you're well-resourced and you have some capacity to be able to get that time back so that you can reflect, so that you can be mindful, so that you can meditate or go to the gym or do yoga, whatever it is, take walks, whatever you need to do to kind of refill your buckets. But it is a time to think about that. It's also a time to power through some of the stresses of family. It's also a time to reflect on loneliness and non-normal profiles. I know I've had many Thanksgivings where I didn't have much to do. I didn't have a lot of people to hang out with. And those are the times when acts of kindness, this is where, you know, on the internet, the idea of the grandmother who in, accidentally invited someone to her Thanksgiving table allowed the dude to stay. And now it's become something they've done for many, many years over time. You do feel better when you do these things. And the tragedy of the commons is something we talked about recently when I had Michael Foyer on the show to talk about can schools save democracy. I feel like we will need to teach people gratitude. We'll need to teach folks to not be too selfish and to understand that there is a tension between self-interest and a common good and public discourse and civil society. I am still struggling with some of what's happening at my alma mater new college and been dragged into this polarized conversation that's really hitting our culture and is hitting the politics of polarization, social media, and, you know, tearing down the bad guy, focusing on what they're doing that's wrong. There is a lot of evil in the world, but focusing too much on it, I think, starts to give it power. And something I'm going to try to continue to do as we power through this show is to focus on the positive, find folks who are doing good, see where we can do a little bit of good, shine light on the right things, and not give too much airtime to those who are all spun up about problems. I like to quote Sergeant Hulka from the comedy classic Stripes when he was talking to Psycho, who was saying his name was Psycho. His real name was Francis, but everybody calls me Psycho. You call me Francis, I'll kill you. In the immortal words of Sergeant Hulka, lighten up, Francis. I think there's a lot to be said for the Sergeant Hulkas of the world. A little shout out, a little call to action for Gen X out there. I think we are a little bit of the Sergeant Hulkas of the world this Thanksgiving season. We need to teach people to be grateful. We need to teach people to not take themselves too seriously. And then we also need to teach ourselves and remind ourselves that it's on us to get out into the public conversation, to try to point towards the light and stay positive where we can and be realistic in how we hunker down for longer fights where needed. But I certainly am thankful for this platform. I'm thankful for my family who's been on the show. And last but not least, I do want to give a little bit of thanks to my virtual co-hosts. 
Nancy in particular, but Nancy, Claude, Malcolm, and I think even Ruth made appearances this year. The tools that are emerging are amazing. It's a great time to be making things. I'm very happy to be doing it. If you have ideas, if there are tools out there that you're finding interesting, you want me to use, let me know. And I'll try to give more behind the scenes looks at some of the tools and tricks that we use over the course of the year. As we get ready to fade out, I'm going to give you some more highlights with our virtual friends over the year. Couldn't do it without our listeners. Y'all are the best. Thank you for sticking with us through the years, through all the changes that are happening. Hopefully, we are getting some sense-making out of listening to the show. We'd love to hear more from you to turn it into more of a conversation. Nancy and friends will take us out as we wrap up our Don't Be a Turkey, Learn to Be Grateful edition. 2023. Thanks as always for listening. The story of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley relates to the infusion of AI into ed tech in some interesting ways. In the novel, Dr. Frankenstein uses lightning to infuse life into his monster, but he soon realizes that his creation has become a threat to society. Similarly, ed tech companies are using AI to enhance their learning products, but we must ask ourselves whether this technology will have unintended consequences. Like Frankenstein's monster, AI has the potential to become uncontrollable if it is not properly designed and implemented. It could perpetuate biases and widen existing inequalities in education, creating a divide between those who have access to this technology and those who do not. However, when used ethically and thoughtfully, AI can have a positive impact on education by personalizing learning, improving student outcomes, and making education more accessible. It's up to educators, policymakers, and ed tech companies to ensure that AI is used in a responsible way that benefits all learners. So, while the story of Frankenstein may seem like a cautionary tale, it also reminds us that technology, like any tool, can be both beneficial and harmful depending on how it is used. We must approach the integration of AI in education with caution, but also with an open mind and a willingness to explore its potential benefits. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure to be here. Although the story here is a tough one when it comes to affirmative action, it's something we'll continue to monitor. As we've seen with your coverage of the ongoing saga at New College of Florida, culture wars are being waged on our campuses. This will continue on that theme. With responsible development of AI, the future looks bright for increased access to engaging, personalized, and effective learning experiences. Thank you again for allowing me to co-host and have this thought-provoking discussion. I look forward to continued conversations about the interplay between human learning and AI.